0: Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 on our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here is the host of the Peristyle Podcast, USCfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham.
1: Hello! Rojan and welcome to episode number 226 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June 26, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. We want to get to a lot of your questions, and you have a bunch of them sent in this week. If you like to send some more, and you want to get uh, questions on the show next week, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can leave us a voicemail two different ways, called 206. 206- Eight 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 six seven five five. Leave a voicemail there or go right to parastylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page to leave a voice message and we will play it on the podcast and hopefully answer the question for you. Alright, here we go. We got Coach Harvey Hyde coming up in the first segment. He's going to be joining us talking about the USC Trojan football team. We've got some questions for him. He's going to talk about some of the recent USC commits and what he thinks is going to happen with the signing day class. We also have Dan Weber, USCfootball.com beat writer, coming on later on in the show. We got some questions for him from USC Summer Workouts and college football playoff, things like that. And as I said, Coach Harvey Hyde joins us first, so he's on the line right now back from Secret Assignment. We missed you last week, Coach. What's going on?
0: Well, Ryan, I tell you, sometimes you have to go undercover. And I went undercover last week while you were out of town and uh, uh, got some secret information that I'll share with everybody later on. Maybe it might not be this show. But I want people to keep listening. So if I give it all away this show, they won't keep (laughs) listening. So, Ryan, will just uh, give a little bit out each time. But, hey, welcome back from Atlanta. You have been doing a lot of traveling and watching a lot of great football players compete. I'm anxious to hear everything you have to say here during the week with all of your podcasts and articles and so on. But. Let's get started. Let's talk about football.
1: That sounds good, Coach. And before we jump into it, just wanted to thank our sponsor, uh, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com. If you need tickets for anything, give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. Not just sports. You can go to the theater. You can go to concerts, things like that. So check them out. They've been great to us. And uh, feel free to give them your business. They'll definitely help you out with any kind of tickets you need. Just ask for Curtis. And Coach, yeah, I just got back from uh, Atlanta for the Rivals 100 five-star challenge where they invite 100 of the top high school prospects in the country. It was the first year they were doing a camp like this, an exclusive camp for just uh, Rivals.com to cover. And I wasn't sure, Coach, at first. But, man, they got so much talent, a, a huge chunk of the Rivals 100, and then they got a bunch of top uh, 2014 players to come in as well. So a lot of five-star guys. uh USC had by far the most commitments at the game. Eight commitments. It became eight uh, when Sebastian Larue, that uh, our Gerard Martinez, broke that uh, that news over while we were in at Atlanta. Sebastian Larue, the four-star wide receiver from Santa Monica, he committed to the Trojans. I was actually on the flight back with him, uh, coach, when we went from from Atlanta to Los Angeles last night. So I shared a flight with him, chatted with him for a while. Really cool kid. A lot of really good personalities and uh good people in this class besides being good football players but it was pretty amazing coach having eight commitments there every other publisher i talked to they were like oh the, you know the school i cover has one or the school i cover has two or none but a few targets and they're like how many usc commits here i'm like uh eight <laughs> so it was a whole bunch
0: well it's going the right way because it all comes down to players and players are what make great coaches and when you have a lot of great players in one area, you build that team pride and that unity that will carry over and and be a great Trojan at USC or whatever university that has that type of recruiting class. You know, I asked you a question before we went on the air, and I think a lot of people, I'm going to ask you a question for once, okay? okay. I asked you a question, uh, how do these kids get there? How do they afford to get there? And maybe you've told all our listeners this, but, I was really confused, because some kids have to travel so far that uh I said, "How can they afford it?" and you answered that why don't you answer that for everybody else who might want to uh, uh know what that answer is
1: yeah and and so rivals was was wasn't doing their own camps for a while, and then a couple of years ago they they joined up with a company called v t o and I think for those camps um I don't believe they have like a major sponsor yet. And you have to kind of pay your own way. But for this five star challenge, they really wanted to blow it out and get, even though it was the first year, get the best players in the country. You know, to come out there from all the regions. They had the West, they had the Northeast, they had the Southeast, and the Southwest is the four regions they designated. And just got, you know, every you know they had five star players from you know every region. It was pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, so the players get uh, free travel, free room and board, and everything to come out there. Uh, they get all the swag, so they had Under Armour was one of the sponsors and players. I think they had like three different uniforms and all kinds of different. They had coats and, I mean, jackets and stuff. They went to Six Flags at after you know the first day at night and you know all the meals and everything. So they really took care of these kids while they were out there. I think that was part of the reason that was such a big draw. And I think it was similar to what Nike was doing up at the opening in Oregon. Uh, if you want to have a really elite camp like that and get you know, players from everywhere, I think you kind of have to to do it. I mean, the regional camps are fine because people can travel locally, but if you want to have a national camp and get everyone to come, it seems like you're going to have to, you know, throw some extra stuff in there. And I know Yahoo had to work with the NCAA on what you can and what you can't do. Um, so there was, you know, I, I have talked to one of Yahoo's legal representatives and they were talking about everything that was going back and forth with the, the NCAA. So they had to definitely dot their I's and cross their T's. But uh, in the end, uh, the players got, you know, the travel and, and room and board and everything. So it didn't cost them anything. Now, parents, they weren't able to do as much as some, I guess there's limitations there. So parents came, but I think they had to kind of put that on their own dime. But for the players, it was great. I mean, they got all kinds of swag and, you know, they got a free trip and obviously they got to compete with, you know, some of the best competition well the best competition they've ever seen in their lives.
0: Well, that absolutely surprises me that the NCAA allows that, unless it's in their best interest for publicity for college football or whatever. But, uh, you know, they always say you can't do anything for a student-athlete that you don't do for a regular student unless it benefits them. And uh, not, nothing against the kids. I think it's a great opportunity for them to get out and display their skills and so on. But it's amazing how they can twist rules around and pay expenses and give sweats and do this and do that do all these different things, and uh, when they think it's okay. So that just shows you the hypocrisy of the NCAA and how it works. It's a combine. It's a tryout camp. And uh, and how does it benefit? Well, it benefits college football as far as publicity of college football and television and uh, all the uh, coverage that they have when they have signing day on ESPN and all these other different channels. And it's just part of all of the – a part of the financial side of what college football is going to, the uh, determination of an, uh, a bid uh, on, a, on a national championship game, it's, it's all coming down to dollars and cents. And I think it's great, uh, but do these kids ever have any time off? Now, after being down there in Atlanta, they go to another camp this weekend, another camp the next weekend. I mean, there's a point of how long does it take you to evaluate a college football player? doesn't take me long. I told you a long time ago who I thought were pretty good players, but it seems as though it's getting to be more of a financial type of venture and promotional venture for these kids and how they utilize these kids as far as getting publicity out there. And I'm not against it, but if one kid was to get hurt or one kid lost the opportunity of going to college, who's going to pay for his college education? I want to ask that. Well, they probably have insurance on all these kids. At least I hope they do. But there's a lot of, when does a kid have some time to be a kid? And I think that's important. Let's move on.
1: Yeah, and, and, and there's some kids. You know, Sue L. Cravens is a five-star uh, safety, the USC guy. He decided he didn't want to camp this summer. So I think it's up to them uh, if the kids want to do it. But I talked to a bunch of kids. Uh, they were East Coast kids even that were at the camp that were flying out to USC today, you know, the next day because – USC Rising Stars camp. Eldridge Massington, the uh, four-star receiver commit from Texas. You know, he had to fly back from Atlanta to Texas. I saw him in the airport. He's like, oh, I got to fly back, and then I got to get up at like 6 in the morning and fly to, you know, to L.A. And, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, some of these, I think, uh, Jalen Ramsey, the same kind of thing. He's a four-star corner from uh, Nashville, Tennessee, was at the, you know, at the camp in Atlanta, which wasn't too far for him, but then he's flying out to Los Angeles the next day. So a lot of these kids like doing them. Um, and then some don't really want to, I think it's really kind of up to them. Uh, if you're already a four and five star high rank kid, it's not really the exposure for you as much. A lot of the times though, there's kids that are, that are more sleepers and they kind of move up the rankings and, uh, you know, it it just depends though. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing how this is happening. But for me, me, I personally like seeing a camp like this where everyone is elite. It's not like there's 500 kids and you know, there's five that you think are really good. Uh, there's a hundred kids and they're all really good. So if you're, it's really, it stands out coach. If a kid isn't that good, you're like, wow, he's not that great. We're normally at a camp. He would be a superstar, but no, here you're with a hundred of the best in the country. And it's hard to, it's hard to stand out. And if you do, it really means something.
0: All right. Since I'm interviewing you today, let me ask you another question. Who is the staff at this camp? Who are the coaches or the people that put these kids through these drills? And make comments to them, positive comments or negative comments? Who, who are they and what are their credentials?
1: Yeah, um, so I didn't know a lot of them. The, VTO is the company that uh, is uh, – they do a lot of different camp, regional camps and stuff, so I think they're the ones that brought in a lot of different coaches. I think a lot of people are high school coaches. I'm not sure if they're I don't think there was any college coaches, but I think a lot of them are, like, current high school coaches or former high school coaches from what, from what I understand. But I do not I don't know too much about who the coaching staff is.
0: All right, just wanted to find out a little bit about the camp and I think a lot of our listeners like to know where you were and what's going on with these camps and All right, what do we got uh, today for our questions?
1: Well, let's go. Let's jump into some questions right now. Uh well, I, actually first I wanted to talk to you real quick about the uh the USC recruiting class cuz you know, as we mentioned, eight commits were at this game. USC has 10 commits. So 80, 80% of the committed players were at this high school all-star camp. So it means there's some, some talented guys uh, in this class. But for USC, only having 18 scholarships to give, 15 because of sanctions, and then three rollovers from the previous class, I know you had some theories of what's going to happen uh, with these last uh, eight commits. And even if, if, the, if the 10 that are on kind of stick around, what, what were your thoughts on that?
0: Well, my thoughts are this, uh, Ryan. Once this starts to uh, roll like it's rolling right now for USC with these commits, you find out who real players are and you find out who really wants to compete and they're not trying to hide from the competition that's at a university. You're getting the top players at your position. You're having an opportunity to play with the best players. And if you really want to be a Trojan, if you really want to go to USC, you better not wait too long to make up your mind that you want to go to USC because there might not be a spot for you. Right now they have three uh, receivers that have committed. They have a lot of great DBs that have committed. So if you want to be a Trojan, you know, you can't keep playing this game because all of a sudden when you commit down the road, if you decide to commit after you want to go around and visit all these schools and if you're not going there, I mean, I think it's a waste of time for you and a waste of time for the university to spend that time with you. Get it over with. Go and be happy at the school you want to go to so that you're not left out. So I think that you're going to start to see, at least I hope you're going to start to see, otherwise some players are going to be left out, people starting to commit earlier than what they were going to do. Because if they don't, there's liable to be somebody that comes up that's a superstar, that maybe they already have enough DBs, but they can't turn down this DB like a Ramsey. So they're going to take him. They're going to take him, and then some other position is going to suffer from it. So there's offensive linemen out there that are, Waiting, uh, you better just go ahead and do it. I understood, I understand. Follow maybe gave a so, silent commit, uh, you know, step out, make your commitment, be a part of this group, get the enjoy the fraternity of living through the experience of being one of me, maybe one of the greatest recruiting classes ever in college football. I'm not saying it is or it's going to be because they don't have the numbers. They probably won't have the number one class, because they don't have 25 scholarships or whatever. They won't have the total points, but they'll have the highest ranking as far as rating of players. So I would think you only wait for a couple of positions. Defensive tackles, you got to wait there because you got to have the defensive tackles in this class. Maybe another defensive end. You've got to have a couple of offensive linemen, but you've got two great commits for 2014, and I've been checking on these players these 2014 commits are probably going to be five-star people. So if that's true, then you're starting off already 2014, and at that time you will probably only have 15 scholarships. So if you want to be a Trojan and be a part of this, this exciting moment, why, why not commit? If I'm a parent, I'm going to call my kid in, I'm going to sit him down, I'm going to say, son, it's time. Or you might decide and you're going to be sorry for the rest of your life. So I think it's time now that a lot of these kids, Hutchinson, or a lot of these kids who want to be a Trojan, if they still want to be a Trojan, quit playing games, step up, make a decision, get rid of the ego portion of it, or you might not be able to go where you're going to college.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fast and furious end uh, as we go towards signing day. So it's going to be interesting to see and how many commits are left and all that. So we'll see. The summer could be could be filled up. Almost. The class could be filled up by the end of the summer. Um, Yeah, you
0: could. And, you know, another thing you can do, you can always gray shirt kids. And that means they pay their first semester and they take 11 units or they go to a junior college and take 11 units and they can come in the next year early. So there's always that possibility, too. And a lot of people don't know what that means, but it means that you don't use your eligibility. Your clock hasn't started. You go and get started with your academic work at a junior college. You take 11 units where it doesn't cost you much money. You get 11 units ahead, and you come in in February on next year's class. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, if you get a lot of great ones and you can't turn them down, you just commit these people up early, and they commit by going. They don't sign with anybody. They go to a junior college, and we call it gray shirt, where they sit out and they come in in February. So that's always an alternative, too.
1: All right. Well, let's uh, jump into these questions, Coach. And uh, we had a couple from... Melvin Melvin, Melvin yeah, Melvin loves writing questions in, so he's, we're getting a ton from him. So uh, thanks for all those, Melvin. Uh, first off, he says, why are we all of a sudden assuming McNeil or Morgan or, or Javaris Allen cannot carry the ball more than 25 or t- 30 times a game? He was talking about the uh, the running back depth. Uh, what is different now in football than in the past to say the backs can't carry the load today? After all, Coach McKay said the ball doesn't weigh very much. So he's he's questioning the fact that people are talking about there's an issue with running back depth but he wants to know well you only need a, a couple running backs because one guy can carry the load the whole game
0: well you know the only reason you talk about depth really i think a guy can carry the football like I, you hear me always say why take a guy on out of the game when they've got a rhythm in the back and a line, an offensive line are working together well and they know what they see and you know, you run a play one time, it doesn't work, and you know why it doesn't work. So you come back and run it the next time, and it works right because you know what you saw the play before as a running back and the offensive lineman. The timing that goes on. I think the number one thing you think of depth as far as having part of a, on a team is because of injury factors. If if you happen to have an injury, you have got to have somebody else ready to go that's a capable player so that your defensive teams that play you fear your running back. So you've got to have capable running backs so if you lose somebody that they don't just shut it down and say, well, they're going to pass the football, they can't run to beat us. They don't have the home run threat. They don't have the short yardage back. So it comes down to the injury thing. But I think SC, if they treat their players right and they don't beat up their backs, uh, if you remember uh, when they were carrying the ball, Marcus Allen these backs at USC 20, 30 times a game, they never got hit in practice. They never got hit. They would go out and they would just run and get the soreness out, and all day Sunday and Monday, they sat in the whirlpools and got their body back in shape, so again, they'd be able to go the following Saturday. So, you know, you treat these backs a little bit different. Curtis McNeil is going to be a senior. You don't need to beat him up. He doesn't need to, to uh, prove anything to anybody. He'll run with the offense out there, and the first team to maintain his legs and conditioning, but you don't beat him up. You let some of the younger players come in and do the scrimmaging during the week, and during the game day, uh, Curtis goes and carries the ball 25, 30 times a game or whatever necessary to win. Remember, you've got to carry the ball whatever it takes the number of times to win. And I think you can't win without a running game. I believe that 100%. You hear Mochos who say that. And I think that if they start the season the way they finish the season and believing in a running game as far as part of their offense, they'll be in good shape.
1: Well, he has a follow-up to that too. Who's the greatest Trojan running back? Of all time, the greatest in USC history, he rates O.J., then Charles White, then Ricky Bell.
0: Well, that's a tough one, and and I don't really want to rank them because I run into these guys, okay? (laughs) I don't run into O.J., (laughs) but but, uh, I don't want to really rank them because I don't think I'm in a position to do that. Different times, different things, different seasons— but they're all very capable backs with great careers, Heisman trophies, and you name everything else, leading rusher in the country. But they were put in a position where they become and can get those stats to be great backs. SC's philosophy in the days that these players played was to run the football first and pass the football second. So these guys had that opportunity to become great backs, not that they don't have, they not, they weren't great backs, they really were, but they were put in a position to become great backs, Sam Cunningham, and the rest of the crew of backs that are at USC. Today, it's more of a balanced type of offense. At least I hope it's a balanced type of offense. They are now starting to believe that at USC. For a while, it was a pass offense and a run occasionally. But at the end of the year last year, when they became a real force offensively, they started to run the football, and they became a very dangerous football team. So to rank those backs, I'd like someone else to do it for me but I think they're all very capable, great football players.
1: Very politically correct answer there, coach. Uh, that's cool. though. That's a, that's a real tough one. Anyway, uh, let's go to uh, Steven. So he kind of, he gave me this, he gave me this complicated bra- background. It was about two pages worth of notes. I can't really read here on the podcast, but what it breaks down to is he listened to a whole bunch of old shows, went on vacation in the Caribbean, I believe it was. And, was listening to, he liked the Lanny Julius podcast. He liked all the other ones, but he said some of his favorite were last year after the Arizona state and Arizona games. Um, USC ended up four and one after that stretch, but obviously lost to Arizona state. And it was a struggle with Arizona. And most of the feedback and the questions that were being sent in was the skies falling their question and Kiffin their question and Monty Kiffin. I mean, there was all kinds of just the, everything's going crazy and, and it's, it's horrible. And he said, looking back on the 2011 season now, with the very slow start, followed by the dominating finish, especially the explanation Mark out against UCLA, to what would you attribute this amazing turnaround? Was the turnaround genuine, or was the 2012 team overrated? That's from Stephen.
0: Well, I, I really feel this. I don't feel they were a good football team at the beginning of the season, and it was a little bit of everything. You've heard me talk about this during the season when we did our podcast. I think they were sort of... Uh, searching, trying to find an identity. I don't think they had an identity. Uh, Their timing was off. They didn't believe in running the football. They made some changes later on at the linebacker position that I think improved their team. Uh, They didn't play consistent. Uh, Play calling, I thought, was sort of picking at random certain plays. I couldn't figure it out how many times why they ran and passed the ball to Robert Wood so many times when they had other great receivers. And at the end of the year... They started to figure out they had other players that could perform, and you didn't have to just utilize one phase of your game, Robert Woods and Matt Barkley. You'd, you had to have confidence in your offensive line. You had to have confidence in your other receivers and your tight ends. They were all great athletes. You had to believe in running the football. Your defense became much quicker and aggressive and so on. And I thought the defense wasn't on the field the whole time or didn't have to make great plays always or or. Or, or put the offense in a position where the other team drove down and then uh, the offense came in and had to go 90 yards to score. They didn't play with believing in themselves. They, they were always that question mark. They, they couldn't finish. Uh, they couldn't finish until they finally won that game at Notre Dame where when you look at that game, they were very fortunate. Notre Dame's down there and Hendricks fumbles the ball down there where Notre Dame's going to go ahead at notre dame last year so at the first of the year you know they struggled against minnesota they didn't blow out minnesota they struggled against syracuse utah i think they had to block a kick or whatever happened to win that football game so when you go back at the beginning of the year last year they weren't a great football team because they were really second guessing themselves and had really didn't have an identity and uh, at the end of the season They slowed it down. They had an identity. They decided and found out they had other players who could play. They diversified their offense. They ran the football. And then uh, they became a real football team after the Notre Dame game. And at the end of the year, and I'll say it positively, I've been negative a little bit at the beginning of this question, but at the end of the year, I would have matched USC against any other football team in the country on a neutral field playing the way they played. Now, we'll never know, but that's exactly the way I feel.
1: All right, Coach. Well, thanks for that, and thanks for the question, Stephen. Um, let's go to – we have a Vegas question, so I thought that this would be a good one for you, Coach. Um, if you go to – there were some sports books that put out lines for college football uh, for the whole year, and if you look at the USC game, they're favored in every single game. Um, first part of the question is, how in the world can they post, post point spreads without ever seeing fall practice and before the first game is even played. And the second part is, do you think this kind of thing is good for USC football? I would think it can only provide incentive for other teams and perhaps give USC overconfidence before ever taking the field. What do you think about the uh, early point spreads?
0: Well, I'll tell you, these guys are good. Part of my secret assignment last week is I met with a couple of these guys and went over the lines, okay? And uh, I don't bet on college football, so let me just throw that out right now so people uh, know that. But I like to uh, have breakfast with some of them to find exactly how they come up with this and why or what. And I went through all not just the numbers on USC, but a lot of the games during the year against different teams and figured how they came to those. These guys are pretty good. These guys are pretty good. And I think early lines are the best time you should be betting if you're better because you get your best feel at that time because uh, you've seen more than these guys have seen and you have a better feeling uh, than they have until they get the season going. But uh, USC should be a favorite in every game. They have Oregon at home. Stanford's rebuilding. FC's got 19 returning starters. Washington, yeah, they got a new defensive side of the staff. They're at Washington. They should go up there and be an angry football team. But what surprises me is how many points they're favored in a lot of these games. It's absolutely amazing. I don't have them in front of me. I wish I did. But how many points they're actually favored by? 15, 8, 9, 6. I think it's 6 against Oregon. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, But that's what people believe of Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley coming back and the number of players coming back. If you look at most of the preseason publications, they've got him as the number one quarterback in America. There's no doubt about that. So he's got a lot on his plate this year. And if I... I may say when I watch him in the fall practices or the summer practices that are going on at USC, I see a different kid working out, a little different attitude than what it was in the spring. He's much more serious about it. He's having fun. Now, don't get me wrong, and he still throws some picks. I see it on all of your videos and trying to force the ball in there. But, of course, you know, they're all playing the pass. They're not playing the run. And uh, But it's, it's crucial for the USC football team, for Matt Barkley, to have a great year. Can he have as good a year as what he had last year? I'm not sure. I'm not sure because that was a pretty damn good football year for Matt. But it was a smart decision for him to come back because he is now listed, as Andrew Luck was last year, as the number one guy. And if he does perform and FC does have a great season like they should, then he's going to make a lot of money, plus win a national championship or have a shot of going to a great bowl game like the Rose Bowl. So I think everything's in place, and now really what it comes down to is focusing on each game, not worrying about the numbers, but learning how to finish. Don't allow a team to be close with you if you're a better football team. Don't put the mental pressure or the, or the, or the uh, stress on you as a coach and also as a player to pull something out in the last minutes. There are teams next year you should beat. Just beat those teams. It's a business trip. And there's teams out there next year that you're going to have to play your butt off to beat because they want to beat you. But you know who those teams are, so you have to be ready to play. It doesn't do you any good to beat Hawaii, and I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to beat Hawaii, but you beat Hawaii by 20 or 50 points, and you come back and struggle the next week at Syracuse. No, that doesn't make sense. Play consistent football. Don't just go out one week, but play at the same level play with the same belief, learn how to finish, learn how to, 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 to make it where it isn't a close game, utilize your special teams. And that's one, another thing that is really, I, I can't figure these preseason publications when they rank some of the units and they, they don't have USC special teams as some of the top special teams in the country. I say, Are you kidding me? I would I would take, <laughs> I would take uh Negretti over any punter in the country because he doesn't punt the ball every time into the end zone and have all these long yardages and stuff. See, that's what these people don't understand. They don't go to the games. They don't see how Atari comes in and makes 15 to 17. They don't see how Negretti punts the ball and rolls out on the four-yard line and, and, they, and they down it on the two-yard line every single time. I don't believe last year he had a run back. I can't remember the stats now. But is there a stat for that? Do people talk about these little things like this? I don't know. And I don't think you're going to see that two-point conversion thing as often as we did early in the season last year, which really, as you notice at the end of the year, sort of settled down and they didn't do it as much. So, uh, you know, those those are my, my answers as far as the favorite being the favorite. You're going to be the favorite. You got nineteen returning starters. You went ten and two and people remember the last part of the year. You beat Oregon. Then you came back and beat UCLA fifty to nothing. You think people forget that? And you got all these players coming back? No. These are human beings. That's why you're gonna have all the prime time on television and everybody in the nation is gonna be watching USC this coming year. And that's why you're on the cover of every magazine. Matt Barkley's on the cover of almost every single magazine. And that's because of that.
1: No, I agree with you 100%, Coach, and uh, we'll see. But, yeah, if there's a – for for the question, if there's a, a game out there or some sport or anything that they can make a line for, that's what Vegas does. I mean, that's how they make money. So they're going to do it. And,
0: and they're damn good at it, I want you to good. know.
1: If they weren't good at it, they wouldn't keep doing it each and every week. So uh, yep. watch a game, watch what the line is, and see how close it comes. And it's pretty close a lot of the time. <laughs> um yeah, to people's chagrin most of the time. Uh, we have one last question, Coach. it uh, I got some of the un- unsung, unheralded guys, I guess, on the football team. And uh, here's the question for you.
2: Hello, guys at the Peristyle. This is Bill from Chicago. And I have a couple of questions relating to the scout team. I'd like to know what players comprise the scout team. Are they the third and fourth string guys? Or are they the backups on the, you know, the second string guys? just what players make up the scout team. And my second question regarding the scout team is, does the scout team run the SC defense and the SC offense so that they acquire knowledge of uh, those schemes as they move up the ladder? Or do they run the plays and schemes of upcoming opponents? Well, that's my question. And Ryan, I just wanted to say that, you know, your voice is very similar to Rich Eisen's. And I think if you watched a little Rich Eisen, you know, you'd slow down a little bit in your approach and you'd have a more, uh, I'm so glad you.
1: And he, um, uh, it just kind of cut off there. So I'm not... <laughs> Well,
0: that's right. I, I thought I didn't know who I was working with, but Rich, nice to meet
1: hey, you, a bunch you know. every Sunday and. NFL Network. You,
0: you do one hell of a job. You just have two different names, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I want to thank you for the, your question. His voicemail just ended Chicago. there, so I'm not sure. <laughs> Whatever. But uh, good question. Yeah, here's the way, basically, depending on how your scout team and what your philosophy is, is. At USC this year, John Manugin will be the quarterback of the scout team at USC. He came back specifically for that. He knows he understands his role will not be really to play on the – uh, Saturday, often. He's a very intelligent young kid. He will take films, I'm assuming, and he will watch the opponent the entire week before and, and also be a part of the game plans and the quarterback meetings, not knowing that he'll not realizing or well, he realizes he's not going to play, but he's going to prepare the defense for the coming week. Uh, normally, you have your third teamers uh, run the scout team and all of your redshirt players. Uh, it's, uh, that's the role. That's part of becoming a, a varsity player. you make your team better the way you run your scout team? If your scout team has an attitude problem and doesn't run the play specifically the way they're supposed to be read, your defense is not getting any better and not seeing the look it's supposed to see. I used to go crazy as a coach when the scout team would just walk through things and fumble the ball and didn't care what they were doing. And if the coach in charge of that couldn't handle it, I'd get another coach because that is very, very important as far as preparing your offense and your defense for uh, game day on Saturday. So it's very, very important that uh, they see the look and they, and they understand what their assignments are, and if you walk through those type of things, it never happens. So, yes, redshirt players, normally your third-string players, preferred walk-on players, uh, yes, they'll get reps during the regular practice schedule an individual practice when you have your individual routes and so on they won't be down there practicing but when you go to group they'll go down there and they'll run their scout team plays and practice it and have it all ready for you so that when you come down to work offense or defense they are prepared for it now normally the offense will do it with offensive players and the defense will do it with defensive players you don't use the same kids both ways so the defense has to supply the players for their scout team and the offense has to uh, supply the players for their scout team. That way the same kids, uh, they have a chance to get better at their position in individual groups, team meetings, and that portion of practice. But when it comes to the preparing the offense or the defense for the coming week, it's all business. And if it didn't run properly, then you get someone else to do it. And there's probably more hollering that goes on at the scout team and more praise that goes at the scout team as far as the success of the game uh, the next Sunday or Monday when you meet with your team, because they're the guys that get you ready to play.
1: All right, coach, great stuff there. And, uh, you got to hats off to the scout team because they really do whatever they can do to help prepare the, uh, the main team from, for getting ready for those games. But thanks again, coach, for coming on the show and, uh, bearing with me as I'm still rather exhausted from my trip to Atlanta where it's hundred degrees on that field. And, uh, walking around filming athletes for 24 hours in a row or whatever. But uh, hopefully everything's going well with you, Coach. We appreciate you coming yep. on the show. You're back from Secret Assignment, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again next week.
0: Everything's great, buddy. And, again, thank you very much for me being able to ask you a couple questions. I enjoyed your answers. And for all of you out there, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: Sounds good, Coach. Everyone else, hey, back in 30 seconds, we've got Dan Weber on the other, li- on the other side of the break talking some USC football, so stay tuned for that.
3: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host,
1: Ryan Abraham. We are back on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining us on the show. Dan, what's going on, sir? How are you?
3: Oh, not much. We feel like uh, with all the, uh, you know, recruiting uh, stuff going on and just it's amazing when you just look back 5 years all the things that didn't exist and now uh, you know recruiting is a story that uh, that never ends so we're you uh, we kind of sit out here and just watch it, watch it go on all the uh, you know it, it can it's sort of taken center stage much more of the time than i remembered even 5 years ago
1: yeah, and I think with the sanctions too, a lot of people are paying more attention to recruiting, maybe for USC than we've seen in the yeah. past. And there's more national, you know, media outlets, you know, doing more stuff with recruiting. And you know, we we hung out with uh, Andy Staples from SI.com who covers recruiting from them for them, and he you know finds some interesting stories down there. We were you know it was a, a long few days down there in Atlanta, but we got a ton of uh, stuff coming up. We'll have Gerard Martinez on the uh trojan blast recruiting podcast probably on wednesday once we catch our breath we already have a lot of recruiting questions in there so yeah it's 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 dominating right now dan and uh, the rising stars campus this week so there's even more recruiting going on the opening will be going up there up in uh, oregon in a couple weeks so tons of recruiting stuff going on
3: it's interesting that andy was there because uh you know he's been uh I I think he's probably had the best take on the uh, the whole playoff situation, uh, for uh if you read what he's written in, in Sports Illustrated, it, it looks like he uh he might be locked in maybe a little bit more than I don't know that anybody knows, you know, absolutely, but uh between, you know, the last two weeks and then uh I guess starting tomorrow in Washington D C uh uh, so uh, Andy broke away, came down to Atlanta, and I guess he's back probably going to be in D.C. tomorrow.
1: Yeah, he uh, actually you know, I had dinner with him, and a uh, really nice guy. If you definitely check out his stuff, It's uh, I think it's Andy underscore Staples at Twitter. Uh, big foodie. We had uh, He took us to a great barbecue place down there in Atlanta. He knows all kinds of barbecue places all around yeah, the Yeah, we'll,
3: we'll forgive the fact that he's a, a Gainesville uh, University of Florida guy.
1: Yeah, he played uh, uh, offensive line at, at the University of Florida. Um as a walk on, and uh, I don't know. As a he... walk
3: on, I think they. Those are the years when they had like nine hundred walk ons. Like <laughs> they were trying to beat out Nebraska. for I still remember they showed up at Kentucky one year, and they had a long punter, a short punter, a long field goal kicker, and a short field goal kicker. And we were trying to figure out how the heck are they doing this? You know, with uh, you know, they had uh, even then they had figured out some ways uh, around the uh, the numbers situation. Yeah. They were uh, other than Nebraska. I saw, always thought Florida was was more creative uh, in in some of the things they were doing. But that would have been probably about the time that they really did. And obviously, uh, you know, a lot of high school football in Florida, and a lot of chance to to get kids to walk on. But yeah, Andy's yeah. Uh, Andy's uh, he's he's seen it uh, from the inside, I think. And uh, a little bit of a, an SEC perspective, you kind of have to kind of. Tweak Andy a little bit,
2: to
3: <laughs> maybe get him to see things from the West Coast, uh, and I guess now that his buddy uh, uh, Stuart Mandel has moved to uh, Palo Alto, uh, the other SI guy, he's uh, he's had a little bit of a of a West Coast re re uh, you know reawakening. I think it's kind of that's probably not a bad thing.
1: Yeah, he certainly has, and uh, I, I I talked to Andy about that. He's actually flying to he was going to fly back to Gainesville, but only be home for like twelve hours, and then. Fly to DC, but he ended up staying in uh, Atlanta last night because they had that tropical storm. So he's flying right to DC this morning and on Monday morning, and uh, he, he talked to me about the uh, you know he got some of that information. And if you definitely check out his calm, he he had a lot of the breaking stuff of what was going on with the playoff, like a rotating you know twelve year deal and a, a rotating thing between I think it was six bulls and. Um, you know, there was, you know, they're trying to get set it up so, like, the SEC and uh, yeah, Big 12 Bowl would match up. I sending
3: that one out to people who, and I said, I think this is the most insight, his last one. Uh, I thought he had, he had the most insight. Maybe we ought to link to that uh, uh, on the uh, on the Peristyle. Yeah, we'll link TV. to it on
1: the Peristyle for people to check it out. I can tweet it out. I, I was just so busy, I didn't even get a chance to read it, but oh. I was talking to him about it. He was just telling me what was in the story, so that was. Uh, kind of good, but yeah, you...
3: I mean, people, I've been getting a lot of emails, you know, what do you think? What do you think? And I, I finally said, I think Andy has the best take here. This seems to be probably has the most things I, I said. I don't, I don't think everything's absolutely not everything is decided, but, uh, if you want to, you know, have a look at kind of, you know, the direction this is going, uh, you know, I think Andy probably had all the little, all the little details and the possibilities. Uh, I do think they're going to leave some things open for the presidents. You know, like exactly how how the bowls are going to work in. I I, I still don't. I don't think they've even figured it out completely. you know, and I, I think the thing with the bowls is that it really is throwing them off is, do you ask the fan bases to make two trips, and if you do. To the semifinals, let's say they got to come to the Rose Bowl from wherever for the semifinals, then they've got to go to say if they're playing it at, a, you know, Jerry Jones's place, you know, and and, and Dallas, uh, Fort Worth, uh, you know, do you ask them to go two weeks in a row? The thing about that, they do it in basketball. I mean, those people, you know, very often the top seeds get to play at home the first week or at home in their home state. But then, uh, You know, they're traveling, uh, you know, two weeks in a row to uh, go to the regionals and then the Final Four, and and they don't think of that as such a big deal for basketball. But I know they've been talking about how, you know, rather than waiting, uh, for example, to see if there's a Pac-12 or a Big Ten team in the uh, Final Four and then letting them play at the Rose Bowl, do they have to predetermine those sites a year in advance? To give people, and that to me, it seems to be the one area where, you know, I, it would be fine with me if they just said, you know, whenever there's a Pac-12 or Big Ten team in the uh, in the Final Four, they automatically play that game at the Rose Bowl. Now, obviously, you wouldn't know that until they selected, Let's say, you know, a couple of weeks before, but that, you know what the heck? That's the way it is now. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, we had a question actually. Mark in La Quinta uh, wrote in, and I know there was a lot of people talking about your columns uh, on the playoff stuff. And he, Mark said, I think you realize that the train has left the station, and all of your suggestions will fall on deaf ears. What I would like is for USC football to promote fair criteria upon which the committee should determine the four participants. And he suggests a few things, talking about strength of schedule and, and getting dinged if you uh, schedule a game against non. Uh, you know, BCS schools uh, credit for winning your conference, using the polls, having each FBS conference, have one representative on the committee and rotating a representative for each of the four independent FBS schools. The representatives are disallowed from voting for their own schools. And uh, he thinks that would be a lot more fair. Also have it be transparent. So the votes are all public and uh, each representative should submit teams one to six and points assigned for the, the, for each team, and the top four teams would make the playoffs. So, I mean, there's a lot of different suggestions out there, but those were some of that Mark had.
3: I think everything that Mark just suggested, I think they may adopt, you know, basically adopt them and adapt them, actually, a little bit. But uh, the only question, and this is what and I think I really the, – the point I was trying to make is I didn't want them to, uh, you know, determine those things too soon. I, I would have liked to have seen the Pac-12 or the Big Ten – hold off a little bit until they get those really, really clarified in ways in which uh, maybe they can you know, actually go through uh, a selection committee, uh, pick a selection committee, pick the criteria, and see how they really would apply them. Because you can say these are the criteria, these are the people on it, but until you get them actually doing those things and making those selections – it almost doesn't matter. I mean, let's face it. A lot of those things make sense for the people, for example, voting in the AP poll or voting in the coaches poll. You know, yeah, you should take into consideration strength of schedule and the number of, uh, you know, gimme games that you have at home and the number of teams that play eight home games and the number of teams that don't play the good teams in their own conference in the other division and all those kinds of things. But, you know, they don't consider those things enough. Uh, They don't think, for example, uh, you know, Oregon, obviously, because they chose to play LSU in in what was, in effect, a road game first of the year. Had that game been played, for example, at the end of the year in Eugene, who do you think would have won, you know? I mean, I think uh, uh, so. And yet Oregon, you know, got penalized for that. So you can have all the criteria you want, and you can have all the, you know, selection committee people that you think this is you know everybody is represented and yet you know i think as we've seen having a pac-12 person on there does that represent usc i'm not sure my my latest take on this whole thing has been maybe usc needs to go back to where the pac-12 has been telling usc to go and where usc used to be in the old days which is pretty much on its own where usc represents usc and you do that by winning football games and recruiting really good players and putting yourself in a place where nobody can take anything away from you and you don't worry about the uh, pac-12 representing you or, or that you can get together with the big ten and and hold out and you know for something for the Rose Bowl and what have you. So uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of saying that USC maybe ought to go more to that place where Notre Dame wishes it was. <laughs> you're kind of out there, on your own. You win football games. You get really good players, and then you get a chance to play some really good people at the end of the year and see how good you are. Because I'm not convinced that uh, just little things like looking at that Pac-12 trailer that they proudly produced for the Pac-12 Network's introduction featuring Oregon football and Andrew Luck. And, oh, yeah, maybe by the end we'll, we'll get a couple of USC, you know, shots thrown in there. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's just something that probably USC can't hang its hat on to uh, the league uh, with which it gladly shares equally all the big bucks that USC brings in through television and gives them away to Washington State and Oregon <laughs> State and all those other schools. So my thought, thought process is changing. Don't worry about the past. Well, I may have probably given Larry Scott a little more credit than, uh, than maybe uh, his performance so far in this. Uh, it's getting really panned, actually, by people like Andy Staples, who was thought the Pac-12 and the Big Ten really didn't get it in terms of these negotiations. Now, maybe there's a secret plan that we don't know about. But so far, I'm thinking USC, do it alone. Get yourself into the Final Four every year and take care of business is the way to go.
1: Makes sense. Uh, well, let's talk about the team. Um a little bit. I did miss, because I was in Atlanta, I did miss Friday's workout. We have a couple questions on the team. We can probably get your thoughts down on okay. what uh, was going on in Friday's workout. Um, first one is from Jay. He wants to know, how is Max Wittick's arm compared to Matt Barkley?
3: Well, uh, Max it throws effortlessly. He's gotten bigger and stronger, no question about it. He, he looks more like that. Uh, Carson Palmer. I doubt that we're ever going to see anybody throw throw with the effortless uh, power that Carson threw, uh, but um, but getting more like that. I mean, you know, his his issue may, is more uh, uh, harnessing that arm. I mean, it's uh, you know that the ball can sail on him. He really can. Uh, he you know he just he he was a kid. I think who hadn't, you know, physically matured, you know, quite as much. And, uh, uh, and now you see a, uh, you know, a bigger arm, bigger shoulder, you know, much, uh, a more defined, uh, looking Max Wittick uh, who always had a, you know, a strong arm, but now he's got a, he's got a really strong arm, but, uh, you know, the ability to, to get it exactly where he wants, uh, you know, exactly on time is something to work on. But, uh, but he, uh, which is why I kind of maybe took a little exception with uh, people who, you know, um, said Jesse Scroggins had the strongest arm on the team. And, and I, I would have probably not, not said that uh, with, with looking at Max uh, and, and Matt Barkley is interesting. Uh, uh, I, you know, he makes all the throws. Uh, he throws the ball lots of different ways. And, uh, he certainly, uh, the other day, uh, you know, threw a couple of bombs that, uh, you know, I, I just think you can make all the throws and I think it's easy to, you know, for people to look at one throw or look at another throw and say, Geez, you know, how strong is his arm? I think his arm is as strong as it, you know, exactly as strong as it has to be. And I think that's probably the most overrated quality in, uh, in terms of a quarterback, uh, as long as you can make every throw that you have to make, uh, that's all, that's all you need to do. And uh, so it's not like, uh, you know, who threw the ball faster, you know, Sandy Koufax or Don Drysdale. You know, it, it, it didn't all make that much difference. It was, you know, it's how you, you know, where you threw it and when you threw it and, and all of that kind of thing. So, uh, 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 but he's got a really strong arm.
1: Okay. Um, Max does, yes. Yeah, and compared. Yeah, I think they're both have stronger arms than, than Cody. Uh, but we and, do if
3: like Co- Cody doesn't try to throw the ball uh, hard because he Cody throws it uh, throws a different kind of a ball. Cody throws more of a, a Drew Brees type uh, uh, ball. Uh, if you had a, a rate uh, catchability, you know who throws the most catchable ball? Cody throws the most catchable ball, the ball that you know. With the nose up a little bit, maybe, and 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 just uh, uh, you know, again, he probably holds on to it longer. He uh, has the ability to move move in the pocket, move out of the pocket, throw on the run accurately, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, you know, you're you're measuring different things when you. Uh, you talk about that, that strong arm. I mean, what you want is that they can all make all the throws that you need them to make in your offense, you know, and they always would talk about with the, the you know, NFL guys that can they make that deep out, you know, throw that deep out ball. And, uh, you know, I think, all of them, I think all of them can. I think when Max throws it, it sometimes fails on him because he really throws it. I mean, he just absolutely drills it. Uh, but uh, they're really asking them to make more difficult throws, which I think is great. I think they were probably, obviously, at the start of last year, they were, you know, overly uh, conservative, overly careful, and uh, and cautious, and it probably cost them a little bit. But as the you know season went on, they realized, you know, we really need to attack, you know, and it became more of a allowing them to throw the kind of throws that uh, 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 Mark has always wanted to throw, you know, that, that dart where you throw it, you know, through people. And they're doing a lot more of that in, uh, in the workouts, a lot more of where they're really requiring or asking the quarterback to, to throw uh, a ball in between people and, and really, really on the money and, uh, and getting it there quickly. And you're seeing more of that for sure.
1: Well, that was a question from Jay on the quarterbacks. We have a question from Anthony out of uh, Salinas, California, on the wide receivers. He goes, what are the wide receivers 40 times? I know they're fast, but how fast are these guys?
3: Good question. Um, I would say you're talking three guys probably – four, four beat and below. Uh, so putting, uh, uh, George Farmer closest, uh, you know, to four, three. And then, um, uh, I, I, I'm not sure who I'd pick. I, obviously I think Robert, if you, if you extended it more than 40 yards, Robert is, uh, probably going to win, uh, against all, all three of them. But then if you put Marquise in there, uh, I think the, uh, uh, the track work this spring, uh, and, uh, you know, the ability to accelerate on that long jump and the fact that he ran in the, uh, uh, you know, four by 100 relays a couple of times, uh, I think his, his 40, 40 time has got to be, uh, you know, right around, you know, four, four. So I would say they probably have, you know, the, the top three guys would be, uh, four, four or less, uh, uh which is, that's about as good as as you're going to get, you know, I don't think anybody, not sure anybody's got three, uh, three guys with that much talent also with that much speed. And then I, I would say, uh, Flournoy and, um, and, um, Victor Blackwell probably a little above that, you know, in the four, you know, whether Blackwell can get under four or five, I'm not absolutely certain. I would say Flournoy could. And then, um, It'd be interesting to see Nelson Aguilar. I, I, I would like to see that. And, you know, you get times on kids, but uh, uh, you really need to see them running on their own and, and, and make your own judgments. And whether they're going to push that 40 time, uh, and take the chance of, you know, a kid pulling a hamstring or something like that, I'm not so sure about that, but... Uh, but uh, they're plenty fast, uh, I would think, on this group. Uh, and, and it'd be interesting to see which where where Aguilar fits in. Does he fit in with the, the top three? Is he, has he got that kind of speed? And sometimes, you know, with the younger kids and that, you really don't know until you see them and you, you get them here and, uh, and and just see exactly where they fit.
1: Um, well, we, you know, we got to see some of these guys. I, like I mentioned before, Friday I wasn't out there. Anything interesting? Any kind of updates you want to share with? The uh, podcast audience of what happened uh, Friday morning when the team was Friday out there, was
3: actually kind of a quick uh, a lot of what they're doing is uh, refreshing uh, you know they're not they're not reinventing the wheel you know a lot of stuff is uh, is they're going over things you know they I think the second half of last season you saw what you're going to see uh, you know this coming year they figured out where they needed to go and an awful lot of what they're doing is just um, uh, they're going through the you know, motions and, and and going over things. I think you're seeing a, a pretty good amount of uh, Soma uh, for those who think, will they keep a fullback in there because of all the tight ends and that. They're certainly running a lot of stuff uh, that involves uh, the fullbacks. I'm um, trying to think uh, Marquise was not there. Marquise had to leave early, and, and so did Bum-Bum-Bum. Well, and Robert was more, you know, was again, the player-coach role. So, uh, uh, so you didn't get a chance to see, uh, you know, as much uh, of, of those guys. Uh, one of the things you are seeing is it certainly looks like they're going to have a great deal of depth in the secondary. And, and I think that secondary depth is, uh, um, is really going to be a factor. I, re- I think they're going to be able to do the rotation that, that Lane really wants to be able to do and, and uh, they really like the idea how much more Oregon got out of maybe not the the greatest personnel, but being able to rotate twenty five guys on defense and, and, and I know they really, really want to be able to do that. And they've got a lot of they've got a lot of, you know, guys who've played a lot of football, who've got a lot of, you know, athletic ability in that secondary. The other thing you notice a lot is the linebackers can run that, that first group of linebackers when you've got Deion Bailey and, and Lamar Dawson and um and hayes Pollard in there together, they really look like, you know, for a young group, I mean, basically you're talking three sophomores, uh, like <laughs> they've been together for a long time, and athletically, they can really run to the football. I mean, they can really uh, – uh, so there are days when you end up spending, uh, you know, more time, um, you know, watching the defense, if, you know, when they're all there. They make, uh, they make life pretty – pretty tough and then just throwing in a kid like ryan dillard he just every every session he does something really impressive i mean he just uh, what a uh, you know what a, you know they don't get a lot of walk-ons but uh, what a good you know what a break uh, you know he he is to have that kid walk in into the program uh just a you know a real talent and a great you know great young man and they're uh they're very lucky to have him, so he's kind of a bonus on top of, you know, what they thought was uh, was going to happen. Gerald Bowman has showed up. Uh, he's obviously trying to, you know, he does line up he lines up, and you know, asking a lot of questions and that. So he's getting um, he's getting a chance to, you know, get acclimated. And then Josh Shaw is is in there all the time, and you know, you see uh, a couple of really big, athletic-looking guys in the secondary. Uh, Nikhil Roby just you know, is everywhere. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, this may be his last season, but uh, it looks like he really wants to make it, you know, uh, make it worthwhile. So uh, uh, I think you saw more the defense, uh, you know, was able to take, uh, you know, take uh, without, I guess, also both tailbacks. Uh, So Buck Allen got to play a lot on Friday. Both tailbacks ahead of him. Had to leave early because they went, they went longer with the conditioning and the weightlifting. So uh, it was kind of a different look on, on, on Friday. The other thing you notice is the quarterbacks really know what they're doing, all three of them. You know, it's not like uh, with uh, Kessler and Wittick that they're learning now. Uh, you know, they've had, they've had a spring, they've had actually two springs uh, and, and one fall. So they're, they've been around plenty enough. Uh, so that that all three quarterbacks, it's just a different feel about the quarterback spot.
1: All right. And then we got one last question, Dan. Thanks for the update there. On uh, Friday, I definitely had to read your your update from Atlanta to see what was going on there. I'm usually not at all, at all those, but couldn't do it on Friday. And then uh, here's one last question for you. Here you go.
3: Hey, Ryan, it's Miguel. Got a question for Dan Weber. Um, with the recent transfer of Jesse Scroggins, Um, I know that the scholarship that he freed up, um, cannot be replaced by a uh, high school commitment, but I wasn't sure, um, if you guys have talked about it before, but, um, can a transfer, like, um, replace him on the scholarship, for scholarship? Um, thank you very much, and fight on. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, they have the, uh, well, technically all the scholarships are renewable year to year, but, uh. You know the walk-on guys who have earned scholarships in the past and things like that. I mean, they're really close to that seventy-five number, and so it's it's one of those things where you know uh, you don't want to start allocating them to this per- person or that person, but definitely that scholarship will go to someone uh, and someone that's out there practicing now. I mean, it's it's no no question. I I don't see it. Uh, you know, going to anybody other than one of the guys that's out there now, but uh, yes, there, that's a that's kind of a benefit. I think it's one of those things where it benefited everybody. I think it, it benefits Jesse to go to El Camino and get a chance to play after two years of really not getting to play. He needs to play. I I, I agree that the junior college move for him was better because it'll give him a chance to to play as opposed to going to a Division One program where he wouldn't have had any spring practice and would have, you know, had laid off basically two years. So uh, I think that's a good move for him, and it's a good move for USC because frees up a, a scholarship, and the fact that Jesse had uh, gotten his uh, grades up, he leaves in good standing, which helps USC's APR, uh, you know, score. So uh, in every way that probably works out well, but they'll definitely, Miguel, they'll definitely use that scholarship.
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, it's essentially what, um, it's not, he doesn't, Free up an initial counter scholarship, so it doesn't, this, uh, on February, and February, USC can't sign 19 guys instead of 18. It doesn't work that way, but it's the overall number, the scholarship number. So we had a count of 76 before Scroggins transferred out. Now it's down to 75, so essentially, you know, you can't really say it goes to this guy. They're not bringing in another transfer. Uh, If they brought in someone new, uh, you know, they would count towards that um 75 limit it would now be at, at 76 so it does free up one of those overall scholarships and for our count dan it looks like usc is right at the limit right at 75 and i think that's exactly where lane kiffin wanted to be you know heading into the season and heading into the next recruiting class
3: yeah that would be ideal if that's the way it can stay and then uh, and then ideally in maybe in two more years some of these kids that are walking on you know can be first in line you know to get uh you know to get those 75 scholarships although you know if they the sub region drop below 75 a little bit uh you know maybe next year even uh you know uh, one of these uh, one of the walk on kids uh will earn himself a scholarship so i think people at first thought that wouldn't possibly happen with the number dropping to 75 but it still might where where a walk on a really deserving walk on uh could end up with a scholarship cuz uh, uh we'll, We'll see. I mean, there's always a chance that somebody might have a medical issue where uh, where they're going to have to retire, where they can stay on scholarship, but they don't count as a scholarship too. And so, uh, you know, the number is going to be close, and they have to have have it uh, down to the uh, 75 that are going to be on the list uh, by the uh, I guess July
2: uh,
3: last day in July is the uh, is the limit. So they've got some time before making those final, uh, you know, distinctions as to who, is, who are the 75 this year.
1: All right. Well, Dan, thanks again for uh, coming on the show and uh, sharing all your insights of USC football. We'll look forward to being out there with you tomorrow morning as uh, USC yep. gets back to uh, their summer workouts. But thanks again, Dan, and we'll talk to you soon.
3: That's the bright and early day. You better, you're better back on Atlanta time tomorrow. Because, uh, <laughs> they start at 6 on, uh, on, on Tuesday.
1: Woo! So. Early, early, early stuff. All right. Well. Okay. Thanks again, Dan. We appreciate it. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We really appreciate you checking out our show and talking about the USC Trojans. We'll talk to you all next week.